Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur's sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome to the Human Conversation. And I have got an amazing young man with me today. And I've never met this guy because he's all the way over in New York. I think that's right where you are, Jordan. That's right. We haven't met yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm coming to New York. That's the whole idea, I see. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read you a little bit of a bio um, about who Jordan is because he sent me a couple of sentences. So I'm just going to read that out. I hope I do that beautifully for him. So Jordan is a Northwestern and Kellogg School of Management graduate, a two-time startup founder, a TEDx speaker, and a number one best-selling author. His upcoming book, The Journey to Cloud Nine, provides a new approach to the personal development world by using fictional storytelling to reveal some of life's most meaningful principles. Jordan has been asking hundreds of people around the world how they live their lives on Cloud Nine, and he cannot wait to share this with all of you. That's right. Oh, that just sounds so exciting. Right. So, <laughs> and it as, sounds even better when you say it, too. Oh, well, you know. You know <laughs> I'm glad you um, read it. And <laughs> um, so, the thing about the human conversation, our regular listeners know that none of this is prepared, none of this is scripted. We literally have a human conversation. And Jordan and I have never chatted, so I don't know anything about him. Obviously, now <laughs> we know a bit about uh, him from his bio. I want to ask you something, first of all. Northwestern and Kellogg School of Management. Now, mm-hmm. this sounds to me like this is quite a good place to go. So, <laughs> is it? Yeah. So, Northwestern University was my undergraduate de- degree, and that's in Chicago, and it's a very good school. And then the Kellogg School of Management was my master's in management studies, and that's Northwestern's business school. So, that was the one-year program I did after Northwestern, and that is a very prestigious business school in the States here. Amazing. So you see, I said before we came on on air and started recording, I said to Jordan, um, you've got to be very young because obviously everybody looks young to me now. But (laughs) I said, you've got to be about mid 20s. And I am spot on. He's not going to mind me sharing. But here's, here's the thing for me to have done all the things that you have already done at that age, I find very, very inspiring. I want to ask you, what did you always want to be? Yes. I love this question because I think we can have a nice conversation about it as well because it really has to do with my mindset and it's a big reason why, and thank you for saying that I've accomplished so much to this point. Um, It's a reason why I have gotten all of this done in such a seemingly short amount of time. And I want to preface this by saying that to me, it, I'm so grateful and I'm, I'm so thrilled with what I have done thus far, but it's only the very beginning. So like, it doesn't feel like I've done exactly what I want to get done. It just, you know, feels like just, you know, 24% of my life. Right. And that's how yeah. old I am. So that's how yeah. I said it. Um, but yeah, anyway, what I always wanted to be when I grew up was a professional soccer player. 
Oh wow! I played I played goalie my whole life, and Jules for so long. I was a kid who I was just going through the motions, and I never thought the way that I do now. This this really only started about two years ago, uh, having this mindset and wanting to make this kind of impact on the world. And I think it was somewhere buried in the back of my mind. I know it was because I've had little hints and I've had to pick up the breadcrumbs as I talk to people and, and have these kinds of conversations about my life story. But uh, yeah, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And that's really all I thought about for a long time when I was growing up, even as I got to college. Right. And then I had to make the shift when I realized that that dream, unfortunately, wasn't going to come to fruition. But I want to get your take on this, too, because this is so important to me. And do you know what a multi-potentialite is? Well, I've got to guess it means that you think that there's an awful lot of other things you could do. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so you're exactly right. And there's a, I know you are a phenomenal TEDx speaker and my TEDx talk just came out as well. But there's one of my favorite talks is about the word multi-potentialite. And basically this, this woman says on stage that she was asked what she wanted to be when she grew up. And she said astronaut or something, right? But then she also said, and I want to be a teacher and I want to be an athlete and I want to be this and I want to be that. And basically the adult who asked her said, slow down, like you got to choose one thing. But what she said, especially now where she is in her life was, you don't have to choose one thing. Mm. And the question we should be asking children is more so what else do you want to be when you grow up? So it doesn't intimidate them or limit them to one particular career path. Amazing. I love it. I mean, I, mm. I think... In all honesty, I think there's a whole lot of things we can be doing with our children that we don't do. Mm. In the UK, I think we're very um, stuck in our structure and curriculum and mm. we're moving and it's slow, but we're moving. Um, mm. We're introducing new things and new concepts. But, you know, if you can't teach children at such an early age these amazing lessons that actually I've taken all my lifetime so far to learn, yeah, I want to take those and I want to now teach. I mean, I've got my 14 year old son so uh -huh. I'm teaching him, but I want us to teach our children this stuff now yeah. this early because it's 100%. so important, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I love that you have this. What else do you want to be? What a fantastic phrase. That's mm -hmm. I'm just holding yeah. that thought now because I love that. I've yeah. taken a golden nugget from that. So, um, <laughs> you know, the other thing about saying, you know, what I want to be as one singular thing is that if you don't achieve it, it can actually be completely demotivating. Mm -hmm. What was your trigger um, that suddenly yeah. got you thinking about the fact that you can have this different mindset. What happened? Yeah, so I'll go back to the soccer story and understanding that I wasn't going to be what I thought I was going to be when I grew up, right? And I was, it was my senior year of high school and that's a big recruiting season. And I put 25 schools on a list that I wanted to go to and play soccer at. And I reached out to all the coaches. So it was very relationship based at first a lot. And, and I mentioned these little skills because this whole experience has led to the skills that I use every day now as an entrepreneur, as somebody trying to grow something on my own and advocate for myself. Um, so 
basically there I was uh, connecting with coaches and then getting them to come to my games, watch me play, invite me to their camps and ultimately ask me to be on their team. Right. So 25 quickly lessened to about 10, which lessened to about five, which were all schools that I could see myself at good academic institutions, strong soccer programs. And at each of these five schools, it came down to me and one other person. And I would, I remember each of the conversations where they would just tell me, you know what, we, we've really enjoyed you watching you play and you're a great kid, but you're not tall enough and you're a great kid, but we see more potential in the other guy and you're a great kid. But if you get in here, you can walk onto the team, right? So it didn't work out for me. With that being said, it didn't stop me from wanting to fulfill this dream that I set out for myself, right? So I got into Northwestern based off of academic merit. And once I got in, I said, I'm still going to be on the team. I wanted to play soccer in college. I'm going to play soccer in college. I trained from November until June, got in touch with the coach. Again, very relationship-based. I persevered through, fully engaged in this soccer world. Uh, Ultimately was invited to a tryout, performed well enough to be asked to be a practice player on the team where, you know, in my mind, I did it. I, I was asked to be on that team. It ultimately didn't work out. Practice player turned into uh, not traveling with the team and too much of a commitment for actually being a part of the team. So ultimately I, I did not do the team for more than a couple of weeks, but anyway, what it showed me in that experience was that it is okay to fail. And like I told you, Jules, I was somebody who I was very by the book. I was very going through the motions, right? And I didn't fail in school. I got very good grades. I never failed sports-wise. I was always one of the best. I never failed relationship-wise. I always had a lot of friends, right? But this was really the first time where I was, you know, kicked to the ground and I had to show myself that I could get back up. And I put myself in a situation where I got back up, I, I got to to being on the team and then even when I wasn't on the team anymore I had still lived my life in the other areas so that everything was fine right so that's what I learned from this this soccer moment of okay here I am and I don't have to live according to my plan right now I can live according to another one and then I can try this world and then I did and I can try that world and I would and experiencing all of these different things has shown me not only what I want to do, but what I don't want to do. I speak to so many people who always know what they don't want, but very rarely do they know what they do want. So it's really quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Okay. So you've obviously not gone down the soccer route for the reasons you've just explained. So then what was, what was the next plan then? Yeah. So the other things then, again, it was very, based off of societal expectations and what a 20, 20 year old guy in college who gets pretty good grades should be doing. Right. And I was in a fraternity. So my fraternity brothers would tell me, Oh, like you study economics and then you'll get a job in finance and you'll have a good life and a stable income. Right. So that's what I did. I got an internship in uh, investment banking and did that for a summer and uh, yeah, I did a good job of realizing that wasn't for me. So they said, Oh, it's fine. You know, go, go do consulting, same kind of lifestyle. So I did consulting. I liked that a little bit more, but I still knew it wasn't exactly for me. And this was another internship. And uh, there I was in my senior year having to 
basically pick my career and I wasn't ready. So again, back to the books, I got a master's degree in management studies. And this is the year when things really started to come together, right? So I'll be honest with you, like the, the program was challenging, but I had a lot of free time in that, in that one year. So yeah. I started to, to dip my feet into the startup world. And I was in Chicago, so there are a lot of startup companies. And I was trying to add value where I could. I was listening to a lot of personal growth and development and self-help podcasts at that time. So I was just, you know, asking them if I could help out for free. So as I was doing that, I created my own startup company. And then every one of these experiences was in the food and beverage world. So I said, okay, maybe this is my passion and I'm going to go into it right away. I'm going to deviate from the norm, do what my friends are not doing and, and really just take a job because I am interested in doing it, not take a job because of the salary or the prestige or anything like that. Yeah. So I ended up taking this management and leadership position at a big restaurant group in the United States. And again, I fell back to like societal expectations because even though I didn't want to, I look back in retrospect and realize that I picked that job because of the stability the prestige that came with it. You know, it was considered the Goldman Sachs of the restaurant world. And yeah. I think I was attracted to that at the time because other people were trying to get these great jobs. And in my mind, I said, you know, the fact that I'm not going into banking is enough, right? The fact that I'm going into the restaurant world is, uh, listen, I'm listening to that voice in the back of my yeah, mind. Yeah, right? it's different. Yeah, it's, it's different. different. <laughs> but Ultimately, it wasn't different enough. It was actually exactly the same. It was very traditional. It was very by the book. I felt extremely robotic. And I'm a person who I want to be innovative and creative and have it be very human based. And it was it was not. So yeah. that's when I, I left that world and had to figure out what was next. And that's, that's when I wrote the first book. So, so let me just say to you, I'm, I want to ask you a question. What makes yeah. some people um, sit in those jobs that you recognize as not being the right job for you? Yeah. And, and people sit in jobs like that and they feel like that, but they still stay and sit, sit in those jobs. Yeah. What makes someone do that as opposed to someone like you who says, no, it's still not right. No, it's still not right. And ch you're chasing the dream really, I guess, as to what it is yeah. you really, really want to do. What makes that person so different? Yeah. And I would love to get your thoughts too, but for me, it's two pretty simple answers. One, first and foremost would be support network. So the fact that I had people around me who were willing to say, you know what, you have to do what's best for you. The fact that my parents were willing to help me out at that time and say, you're not going to be homeless. You're not going to be starving. Like you can do this as long as you have a logical plan and you're actively trying to figure out what's next. You're not being lazy. You're not just trying to take the easy way out, right? So support was huge in that moment. And then the second thing though, which is more based on me, is that I fear the what if so much more than I actually fear the what. So in that moment, what was scaring me so much was the voice in the back of my head saying, what if you would have quit your job and wrote a book? Like, what if you would have started your own company? What if you would have left, right? And that is so much scarier for me to think five, 10 years down the road and think that that thought is still in the back of my mind than it actually is for me to just quit my job and go ahead and do the next thing, right? 
And it's about yeah. that mindset of being comfortable with change and shift and transition. That's really an uh-huh. interesting answer for me because you had that stability and the support in order to then sort of take that jump and risk and leap, didn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you have done if you hadn't have got the support and the, the knowledge that you wouldn't be homeless or you wouldn't have to go and get another job, you know, whatever? What would you have done then? It's a great question, and I'll answer again in two ways. <laughs> One, I would say I would have tried to find it, right? So whether that be through uh, mentors who I personally knew, who I wanted to give me the okay in going ahead and doing what I wanted to do, or that even being through mentors who I did not know, people who I was listening to on podcasts who were saying, you know, I was homeless for a year. I lived on a friend's couch for a year, right? I would have found that support system and that uh, validation that I could have made the decision that I was going to make. Um, But then the second answer would have been, I just wouldn't have done it as impulsively or immediately. I would have figured out a much better plan of action, a uh, a different way to make money in that moment, um, a different lifestyle. I always tell this to my parents. I always say, you know, like, if you if you like if you really need me to do something, I will go and do it. But the fact that I have your support means that I can you know feel comfortable pursuing what I currently am. Yeah, so definitely. Definitely. I, I would have been more planned with the approach. Maybe even have stayed um, in that job for a little bit longer until I figured out what was next, or I would have taken on this thing that was next as a side gig for a little while. And then made the transition over because what I ultimately did was I quit and then I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because my, my situations when I started my first business, the one you heard about in my TEDx. Yeah. Um, and the business that I now run, I started two years ago. Both mm-hmm. of those situations I was in um, were with absolutely no support around me in many ways. Mm-hmm. The first time right. I was married, but I'd only just had a baby. So like mm-hmm. it was a huge risk yeah. for me to suddenly just start a business. Yeah. And then this time round, two years ago, I didn't have a partner. I didn't have mom and dad still around. I was very, very much on my own yeah. with three months redundancy money. Um, and yet, you know, you, you sort of talked about this. What's my take on it? I don't know whether there's just something in you as a person that yeah. is, is just, I mean, it's very entrepreneurial trait, I think. It's just mm-hmm. you've got to take that leap and the risk. Um, yep. and for the same reasons as you, what if I hadn't tried it? What if I hadn't done it, you know? Yep. So mm-hmm. um, I think we're very alike in many ways. Obviously, yeah. you're just like a few years kind of, um, well, a lot of, a lot of years just younger. A, no, but... Just a couple. Just a couple. <laughs> But so, okay, so um, it's great just to have discussed that question because I'm just interested in the psychology of these things because being yeah. so, so young and doing it, I didn't do my journey until I was 36 years old uh, mm-hmm. in terms of running my own business. So that was much later than you. So you wrote a book. Mm-hmm. First book, yeah. Your first book. And we must uh-huh. say that because there's another one. Um, but yeah. what was your first book about? So it was called Getting Comfy your morning guide to daily happiness and comfy is a five-step morning routine to help you overcome stress and anxiety. And what the book really was, was a response to, 
I knew that the restaurant world was hectic and chaotic and intense and it wasn't for me, but I still came into work with a smile every day. I was positive. I had a lot of energy. I was doing a fine job. Whereas a lot of the people in that industry go home with tears running down their face, right? So I wanted to share with others why I was able to have this kind of mindset. And I totally attributed that to my morning routine. Okay, so this guy wrote a book in like 2010 called The Miracle Morning. And since then, he's sold like 2 million copies of it. And he's got this routine called the Savers Model. It stands for silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. So what I do in my world, in my life is... I listen to other people's advice, I implement it, and then I adjust. I adjust so that it's best for me, right? Yeah. So I tried the savers technique, and I said, oh, I love this part, but I'm not really an affirmations guy. I don't need to do that every single day. And yeah. I like to read, but I don't like to read in the morning. It makes me tired rather than energizes me, right? So I picked and I chose what I wanted within my morning routine, and I optimized it for me. And that's the kind of book I wrote. So Comfy, which stands for Calm, Openness, Movement, Funny, and You. Love those, it. Those five, uh, those, those five words in the acronym are buckets. And, and they, prov they provide recommendations rather than demands so that you pick up a comfy routine and we're doing different things. You know, your, your calm could be meditation and my calm could be five minutes of deep breathing and your openness could be journaling and mine could be texting my mom and your movement could be a, a run and mine could be a weightlifting session and funny could be a video and yours could be telling a joke to a friend, right? And then finally that you is about something that you want to do rather than have to do as you approach the rest of your day. So there's a million different things that we could do, but it's really like exploring our curiosity. So Mine could be dancing and yours could be singing, right? And it just yeah. gives us this, we're focusing on the same comfy principles, but ultimately we've created our own morning routine. Ah, uh, yeah, this is great. It's great stuff, really great stuff. And obviously, yeah. you know, I always talk about, oh, wait, we are unique. Every one of us is unique. Mm -hmm. And of course, this just seals that beautifully, doesn't it? You know, yeah, I really like what you've done. On you. Yeah, it should be based on the person, you know, the being in this self-help world for all of the last year and a half, you know, a lot of the pushback I get from my friends, from those fraternity brothers who are in traditional jobs, quote unquote, is I don't like self-help. I don't like being, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Right. So even with that first book, I didn't want to tell anyone what to do. Yeah. I wanted to recommendations and have a guide. Right. Yeah. And that has definitely followed into the second book which uh, is not even a guide, it's a fictional story where people can see based on the story what they can or do not want to put into their lives or what they do or want to put into their lives. So what's this, tell us about the second book then as you've introduced it into the conversation. second book had a really cool story where I was driving in an Uber and the Uber driver and I passed this boat called Cloud9. And I mm -hmm. asked the Uber driver what Cloud9 meant to him and he just started reeling off these euphoric life moments that he had where he felt like he was on cloud nine. And those were like when he had a baby, when he got married, when he moved to America, 
when he had a big career accomplishment. He talked about his childhood and like some key moments there. And I said, wow, this, this has momentum behind it. I can create something out of this. And I outlined a fictional concept for some guy's journey to cloud nine. And I, I wrote the first draft in like four and a half weeks after that. Wow. And it was great. It was crazy. The coincidences that occurred um, and the stories that I was able to tell. And ultimately what I did was I wrote a book where like I, like I kind of mentioned with my own story, the protagonist has led a life based on societal expectations and norms and what other people want him to do. Mm-hmm. And you see that this has led to a life of isolation and depression. But what I also do in the book is I present his cloud nine life where he travels from cloud to cloud to cloud, cloud one all the way to cloud nine, and is able to relive some of those important choices in his life that he originally made based off of society, but now he makes the choice based on himself and what he wanted to do. So he's able to see what cloud nine looks like for him had he made those choices. And I use the story from the Uber driver and these conversations that I've had with so many different people in order to pick out what those clouds are and how we should be living sort of according to these clouds. I love that. That's so yeah, cool, it's isn't super, it? It's really fun, really fun. So have you published your second book now? Is it actually published? No. So the oh. second, so the first book I self-published. Okay. And the second book I'm doing boutique publishing. So boutique publishing, we, we have something here in the UK called hybrid publishing. Yeah. And it's kind of that middle place between a, a publishing house and the mm-hmm. self-publish. So yeah. you, know, you just get that extra support. Like I did a hybrid publish. I had mm-hmm. my book cover designed, a proper edit, a proper yeah. edit, um, yeah. you know, and, and that kind of stuff, which I just felt more comfortable with. It cost yeah. me a fee. Uh-huh, which, same. you know, wasn't too bad, actually, in the, in the grand scheme yeah. of things. But it just meant that I had a really nice professional book that if I yeah. just self-published, I'm not sure I would have known enough about it to have self-published. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same, same thing, same thing. So did your first book go on Amazon? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So you could still get it now if, if any of the listeners are thinking, gosh, I need to look at yeah. the books, you know. Because yeah, it's there. Great. So your second book is due to publish when? Have you got an idea? Six months from, t- from June 5th. Oh, okay. Around. Yeah. yeah. Six, so, it's still six months out, but I think the Cloud9 concept I, I want so many people to know about because it's, it's a way to start living this optimal interpretation of your life now. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about this now because I yeah. think this, this Cloud9 element um what would you call it a methodology or would you call it what do you yeah yeah Yeah, philosophy methodology yeah yeah all all those words yeah so so cloud nine is what you have on your linkedin profile so Mm -hmm. is this your business as such yeah and tell us about what you do then with cloud nine what happens so yeah so cloud nine living is a the overall business incorporates the book speaking and coaching Cloud9 Coaching is where I work with people one-on-one to help them gain an understanding of what purpose and fulfillment and meaning looks like in their lives. It's sort of people who feel stuck, who want to move forward based off of an actual life that they want to live, this Cloud9 life. Mm. So that's 
that's the coaching side of things. Okay, so um, there's a lot of coaches out there. Okay, yeah. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to challenge you a little bit because I think you're Please. very you're very up for this. Um, yeah. So it, certainly in the UK, there's there's many many coaches, and I guess yeah. the kind of secret is to stand out from the crowd and just have something different. And you know, right. with me, I've done my live it, love it, sell it to try yeah. and stand out from other sales coaches because it's my own methodology. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how do you stand out from the crowd mm-hmm. with cloud nine? Yeah, totally. So there, there is a methodology to it. It's a four part process where the first part is actually the first book. And we go through a getting comfy process where you are able to figure out ways to calm yourself, to open up, to move, to focus on smiling and to then find and start exploring a curiosity. So that's the first bit. And then the second bit is actually experiential learning where you're going out into the world and, and you know, you are going to that networking conference or you are going to that dance class and, and starting to explore what you actually think is going to light you up in the world. Uh, a super unique part of it is the third part where I actually advocate for experiencing things that you know you're going to fail at or you know you're going to dislike or not enjoy. Um, and the key there is to have an awareness and an intentionality to it where you go ahead into that experience looking for things that you do like, right? So an example I like to give is maybe I don't like dancing, but when I take a dance class, Do I like the fact that the instructor is telling us what to do and how do I transfer that over to my real life, right? So maybe that means I need something where I'm going to be told what to do, more of a a traditional job, or maybe I liked having a a one-on-one type of relationship with the instructor. So maybe whatever I do, I know I need to have a mentor, right? So that's what you're trying to learn from that experience. And then after that, so I got certified in Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder-Centered Executive Leadership Coaching. Okay. And basically what I do in the next piece is so often when we're trying to explore what lights us up in the world and, and what we're good at and what we should ultimately pursue, the answer is right in front of our nose, but we don't realize it because we think it's innate within us, right? And sometimes it takes asking a friend, a family member, a colleague, a mentor, exactly what it is that we're great at, that they see us doing in the future, talking about our greatest accomplishments, our greatest strengths, um, in order for us to realize it ourselves, right? So it's using relationships and connections to get to that spot of where you want to be. And then once you've got those things, that's when you try and decide what's next. So it's a fun way to approach the situation. And honestly, for me, the coaching, I only do it with a few people at a time. And it's very difficult because I think ultimately finding purpose is this introspective process that can take years. Yeah, I agree. Right. So I try to, I try to provide a framework and, and do this in a way that works best for each person. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the hardest thing there is. I'm so lucky to have found something that like truly lights me up and it's, it's tough to find for so many other people. I think it can change, you know, as as you go through life, that's the other thing about it. Sometimes you have Mm -hmm. got to just trust. This is what I love and what I should be doing right now. 
but also yeah. that could change going forward somehow. You know, I've seen that in my career. Right. You know, how you talk about um, having someone else help you because it's right in front of your yeah. nose. You know, I really liked that. Yeah. I had two yeah. years ago when I started this business, I had a conversation with my old boss who I hadn't uh-huh. seen for maybe five years, but we were still in touch. And he yeah. used to manage me in yellow pages as a salesperson. And yeah. I, I, I said to him, I'm going to be a coach. And he said, that's mm-hmm. great. What are you going to coach? Yeah. I said, everything, anything, uh-huh. everybody. He said, really? Okay. And then he said to me, why aren't you coaching sales? And I said, well, I've done sales all my life. Why would I want to coach sales? He said, yep. because you're very good at sales like this. Yeah. You know, I came off that call Jordan and I reevaluated everything and realized that sales was exactly what I needed to be doing because I was so passionate yeah. about it. So listen, I, I mean, you are such an exciting young man because you've, oh, a, you. a, you've done so much already, but you have such depth to you and I just adore talking to you. It's, it's really you. interesting and, and it, it's kind of eye-opening really to think about the ways you, you see things. I love the whole cloud nine principle. I love the idea of the book. I'm definitely... I'm ready to buy that when it's, when it's published for sure. <laughs> um, just let's finish about talking about your TEDx talk because again, yeah. you know, so many people have this as, on their vision board for the future yeah. you know, and, and you're such a young man and you, you've got a TEDx talk. So tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. So like a major theme of this human conversation has been is human conversation. <laughs> and, the way that I got a TEDx talk was through a total human connection, but it wasn't a family friend. It wasn't a former colleague. It was a total stranger. But the way that I approached this person was what ultimately got me the TEDx talk. So I'll start with this. There's a book that just recently came out called The Third Door, right? And I okay. think when you want to get a TED talk, you can think about the first or the second door which is you're a speaker and you have a platform and you have a message to share or you have a story to tell and you find a talk that you want to be at and you apply online and boom, like you got it. You got that TED talk, right? That's not how it worked out for me. Very early on in, in where I am now, I'm still very early on in what I'm doing now. And I didn't have credibility. I hadn't been speaking that much. I had this one book that was doing okay, but I self-published it. It was nothing special. So I really had to find that third door. And this is how I did it. And this is how I think a lot of you can do it as well. So what I did was there's a, a, a little bit of logistics to it. And I wanted to do a talk that was three to five hours from where I am in New York City. So that was the first filter modification on the TEDx website. So boom, maybe 20 talks came to me. And then the second filter was, I want this talk to be within the next three to six months because that's when the TEDx organizers are probably booking their speakers so that they're ready to go. They don't have to worry about speaker cancellations and that stuff. So I was thinking about them first, right? Um, so then I had maybe five talks that I could apply for, or at least start to think about. And on the TEDx website, the organizer of each talk is listed. The name is listed. So once I had these five names, I went on to LinkedIn 
and I searched the name and I did a little research. I tried to see if we had any mutual connections, if we had any academic um, similarities, if we had any professional similarities. And for each person, I was marking down what we had in common and I was crafting a message that kind of said, hey, I would love to connect with you. I noticed this, this, and this about you and I've done this, this, and this. And I think we would both mutually benefit from being connected, right? So then I would connect and then again, like still no mention of TED Talk yet. And it would, then I would go from connection to adding value. And how can I add value to the person who I'm reaching out to? I don't know. Maybe it was, can I promote a book that they've written or can I help with a project that they're working on? Whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was. And that was the conversation afterward, right? So here I am talking to these five people or, or I think only three of them answered. And ultimately, I was able to start to talk about what I was doing. And I mentioned I was speaking about this book. And hey, by the way, I noticed you organize a TEDx event. One of my dreams is to be a TEDx speaker. So would you consider having me speak about these topics that align with your theme for your TEDx talk? That was the ask. And two of the people said, oh, like we want to give everyone a fair chance, head over to the website and apply. I applied. I didn't ultimately get those. But one person said, I would love to have you talk. I've enjoyed chatting with you. I think your message would resonate with our audience. So please come talk at TEDx Clinton Middle School. And that was the talk that I gave last month that's now out. But you know what's really interesting? You've got three characters there. Okay. So it's all about the people, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so two of them uh, were not necessarily connecting with you on the level that this, uh, this third guy was, the third mm -hmm. door, but she connected with you in a way that means that she didn't need you to fill an application form in. Isn't that one mm -hmm. of the very best ways you can connect with somebody when she's gone complete with, with a gut feel on that one, hasn't she? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that Absolutely. story. And, and the yeah. way I got my TEDx talk was because the TEDx curator for Brighton was at mm. an event where I was speaking. Um, mm. And I never once asked him if I could do a TEDx talk. I bought my ticket to go and watch TEDx in Brighton for October. Uh -huh. yeah. And seven days before I was going to watch TEDx Brighton, he messaged me and said, you've got seven days notice. Would you like to speak? Because somebody's dropped out. Wow. I did not know that. So you yeah. made that talk in seven days? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. Wow. I love that. That's, that's a third door for sure. <laughs> it is, isn't that it? Is definitely a third door. So Yeah. So it was definitely meant to be. It was, like I said, it was on my vision board, but not for, you know, anywhere near that time that I did it. I was so blessed. How I really cool was. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Serendipity yeah. at its best. So. Very serendipitous. Yes. So Jordan, listen, I could talk to you forever because I, I know too. I say that. I say that to a lot of my guests, but I seem, <laughs> to, I seem to have some really awesome guests that are just great to yeah, chat to. So. Mm -hmm. so thank you for your time and for thank talking you. to me from New York. Um, I will make sure that all the links that we discuss that you want put out will, will go below. And mm -hmm. listeners, I really hope you've been interested in our conversation because for me, I think it's highlighted an awful lot of positivity, an awful lot of things that you can start thinking about as listeners and how you live your life and how you can get up every day and be comfy, because how amazing is that? 
in your own way. Um, and I just think that it's just been a really great, feel good, energetic chat. So yeah. thank you, Jordan, so much. Thank um, you, Jules. Thank you. If you are listening and you liked the conversation, you can like it, you can subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify. And please leave your comments because if you do, we'll answer them. And um, probably Jordan will as well as I will. So, I absolutely um, will. <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, Jordan. Lovely, lovely to talk to you. And thank thanks. you for listening, everybody, to the human conversation. We will be back next week with another awesome conversation. Thank you so much and ta-da for now. You've just been listening to the Human Conversation podcast with Jules White. To find out more about the other work that Jules does, please visit her website, www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.